Thanks, Rob. Uh, the Year 6 to 8 youth are going to head out for Bible study now with James and Stacey. Keep your Bibles open at Galatians 3, but I want, to, uh, I want to start by testing you with a game of Who Am I? <laughs> well, well done, Mark, you win. All right, let's move on. Um, call out when you, when you think you know who it is, okay? I was born on the 1st of December 1959 in Queensland. My father is called Jimmy. My mother was a Queensland representative netball player. I am a sportsman. I started playing this sport at the age of six. I represented my school union touring Europe and Japan. I'm also a commentator for this sport. I represented Queensland in 31 state of origin games from 1980 to 1991. I am Wally Lewis. I've got a lot more clues here, but you got it pretty quickly. Uh, all right, next one. I'm nicknamed the King. That, was, that would definitely give it away. Next one. I was born on the 26th of July, 1939. I was the fourth son. My parents got married in 1925. I grew up in Sydney. I suffered from hearing impairment in my youth. I attended a publicly funded state school. I joined the Liberal Party in 1957. I acted as a campaign manager in the 1963 federal election. In the 1974 federal election, I successfully contested for the suburban seat of Benelong. I am John Howard. Next one. I was born in January 1973 in New South Wales. I was the youngest of three children. My family moved to Canada for a year when I was four. My mother and father were both math teachers. In high school, I won state awards for music composition. Sorry? I studied engineering at University of New South Wales. I married my teenage sweetheart and had four children. My first job was in computing at the ABC. And yes, I am John O'Squire. What defines us? What defines you? I mean, if we did a uh, who am I for you, if we put that together, what sort of things would be included? Here we are this morning for, for Isaac's baptism. Isaac's life stretches before him. What sort of things will shape and define who he is, who he grows to be? Now, we're all individuals. Say it after me. We're all individuals. <laughs> Thank you. I was expecting someone in true Monty Python style. We're all individuals, we are, we have different stories, we have different personalities, different skills, different experiences, but often the things that do define us mean that we, we kind of fit together, we fit in in certain circles and yet not in other circles. There's an in crowd and then there's those who are on the outer and that, that happens in all sorts of ways in life, um, just to give you an example, at the uh, the State of Origin event the other night, we held last Wednesday night, uh, having dinner, and and I walked in on a conversation between Ben and and another guy who'd been invited along to the dinner, and and just in case you didn't know, Ben loves guitars. You, you may not have you may not have picked that little fact up yet, but Ben loves guitars, 
And, uh, and this guy he was talking to also loves guitars, and so they were, they were talking about guitars. It turned out that uh, they had quite different tastes in guitars, but at least they understood each other. They knew what they were talking about, whereas I, I know very little, next to nothing about guitars. I can, I can count the number of strings that they have. That's, that's about the extent of it. And so I was very much on the, the outer in the discussion. There's an in crowd, and then there's those on the outer. Now, that's a a silly, trivial example, but it illustrates what what often happens in life. If you're this type of person, those things define you, then you can be in the in in crowd, those who belong, but if not, well, you're on the outer. You may have experienced that uh, at school, uh, in the workplace, even in family life. it it, It can be the case. There can be an in crowd and those on the outer. And it can even happen in churches amongst Christians. There can be this, this distinction that, well, if not in reality, at least in perception, that, well, there's, I mean, we're all Christians, but there are special Christians. They have the inside running on the Christian life. So there's, there's Jono and there's Ben. I mean, they're, they're ministers. They've been to Bible college. So, you know, they're, they're kind of on, they've got the inside running on the Christian life. They're special Christians. Or there's those people who are involved in, in various things. They, they do things up front at church or, or they lead at a growth group or kids club. And they're in the in crowd. And then there's others who are on the outer. And we set up this distinction between people, at least in our thinking. And this is nothing new. Uh, we've been working our way through this book of Galatians for a number of weeks, and, and, and the problems that they were facing were really one expression of this in-crowd thing. There were ordinary Christians, and then there were these special Christians who were pretty good, or at least they thought, pretty good at, at keeping the rules contained in the law of Moses. And, and this way of thinking is a big problem. It's a big problem that, that really stems from, comes from our understanding of who we are, of the things that, that ought to define us. And that's what this passage before us gives us. So look with me and we see what is it that should define us? What is it? Who am I? What defines who we are? But as we come to this, please, uh, we pray with me. Let's, uh, let's pause and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you give us uh, insight and understanding. Please help us to understand you better. Help us to realise better who we are in Christ. Amen. Uh, now, throughout chapter 3, as we've been looking, uh, Paul, just to, to recap where we're up to, Paul's addressed the whole question of the law, uh, the, the law of Moses and and. And he's shown how God's way has, has always been about faith, believing God, like Abraham did. That was God's way, and, and that's still God's way through Jesus. The law, when it came 430 years after Abraham, it didn't supersede Abraham. It doesn't, it doesn't provide a new way to make us right with God. It doesn't make us right with God because of our sin. But rather, it shows up our sin and shows us our need for a saviour. That's where we've been. And the passage before us today, it starts off where we, we left off. It starts off with a before picture and a but now picture. So before says we were locked up, verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, 
locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Before Jesus came, living under the law meant being held in custody, being locked up. The law didn't didn't free people up, didn't provide a way for people to be right with God. I mean, it would have if it wasn't for our sin, but because of our sin, the law shows us, shows up our sin and condemns us, locks us up and says, you are not free, you need salvation. Uh, The other image Paul uses here is of a guardian, a, a supervisor, so the law was our guardian until Christ came. It, it watched us, it kept us in check, it held us until the coming of Christ. Notice four times here it speaks of this coming. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody until the law locked up under the law, and locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Christ came, this faith in Christ came. This is the, this is the defining event. This is the, the hinge upon which everything turns. You were locked up, held in custody, guarded, contained, until Christ came. So verse 25, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We've been let out. We've been let out of prison. We've been freed and forgiven. As verse 24 says, Christ came that we might be justified by faith. There's the first thing that defines us. If our faith is in Christ Jesus, we are freed from condemnation. We are made right with God, forgiven, at peace, justified through Jesus. Jesus, the one who, 1 verse 4, gave himself for our sin to rescue us. Who, 2 verse 20, loved me and gave himself for me. Who, 3 verse 13, redeemed us from the curse of the law. So what defines you? What defines me? If our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have been made right with God. That is extraordinary. But it gets even better. How can it get better? How can it get better than being justified, forgiven, made right with God. I mean, to suggest that it could get better than that, is that, isn't that a bit heretical, Jono? No, it gets even better than being made right with God. Look at verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That is, we're not only made right with God, forgiven and reconciled from being enemies to being friends, we are also made to be his children. We're brought into his family. We're given the keys to his house and he says, hey, you come and live with me. What a privilege. We are children of God. And this isn't the case for everyone. It's not as if you know, God is the father of all humanity. I mean, he is the creator of all humanity and all humanity is created in his image. But the Bible doesn't describe God as the father of all humanity, as if we're automatically just everyone's in his family. No, it's through trusting in Christ Jesus that we become children of God, that we're adopted into his family. And God, our creator, becomes God, our father. Now, some people can struggle with the, um, the idea of God as 
as father. Um, perhaps especially if their experience of uh, their human father has been far from ideal. But whether we've had a, a great father or a terrible one, we all know and we recognise what good fatherhood is. We know what it's about. We, even if, uh, if all we've experienced is the opposite of good fatherhood, when we see God's perfect fatherhood in faithfulness and love and care and generosity and wisdom and guidance, when we see that in God, we know that's right. That's what fatherhood is. And through Christ, we've been given that. We've been given God as our father. We're brought into God's family. We're made his children. He is our perfect heavenly father. And this happens through Christ. Verse 27 says, For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, what's this baptism? We often think of baptism as being a water thing, which is right because baptism is usually to do with, with water. Uh, the word baptism, baptise, just means immerse, wash, cleanse. It's kind of like, it's like doing the washing up. You, know, you, you baptise the dishes, you, you immerse, you wash, you cleanse them. In fact, the word baptism is used in the Bible in exactly that way. In Mark 7 verse 4, it says, When they, the Pharisees, come from the marketplaces, marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash or baptise, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing, the baptism of cups, pitchers and kettles. It's the same word. They baptise their cups, pitchers and kettles. But the word baptism is also used in the Bible metaphorically. It's to be immersed and engulfed and so Jesus speaks of his death as a baptism being immersed and engulfed in death Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of Israel being baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea Acts 1 uh, 5 speaks of being baptized with or in the Holy Spirit so baptism isn't just about water it's about being immersed and engulfed and united with something or someone. And so the baptism, uh, the, the washing we had this morning with Isaac, uh, it's a, a sign, it's a symbol. But the real baptism that we all need is the baptism that verse 27 speaks of. It's about being baptised into Christ. Being immersed and washed and cleansed by Jesus and his sin-bearing death for us. If you've had that baptism, you've been clothed with Christ. You've put on Christ. In the language of the Bible elsewhere, your sinful nature has been buried with Christ in his death. You've been raised up with Christ to new life in Christ. You've become what he is. You've clothed yourself with Christ. This is what defines us as Christians. Through faith in Christ, we are baptised, immersed, washed in him. Not baptised in water, but we, we are made right with God. We are made children of God. But notice one little word that's repeated three times in this passage. It'll come up on the screen. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore which means there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all 
one in Christ Jesus. If, if we are all children of God and all baptised into Christ, any, any difference that might divide us, that might put us in the in crowd or the out crowd, or, it's insignificant compared to our unity in Christ as fellow children of God. Think about various things that, that uh, can divide us. There's all sorts of things that can divide us. Uh, give you an example. I <clears throat> haven't checked this with Jeff here this morning. Jeff Flick? Jeff here? No. Well, I'll speak freely then. <laughs> can you believe that Jeff Flick turned up to the State of Origin event last Wednesday night wearing a Queensland jumper? <laughs> but we still welcomed him. The fact that he was the first one to arrive kind of made it. Uh, but we, we welcome. We were, we were glad to have Jeff there, especially given the scoreline. <laughs> All sorts of things can divide us. I mean, more serious ethnic background, language, race. Oh, those people, they're, they're different. What job you do, whether you're a brain surgeon or whether you're Shopping trolley collector, maybe a level of education, wealth, social ability. There's all sorts of things that we think divide us, things that real, we, we, those things define who someone is, and so that person is that, and, and I'm this, and, and we're different. But in Christ Jesus, those differences pale into insignificance. That one phrase is is emphasised five times in these few verses, in Christ. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor the slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who are we? What is it that defines us? Being in Christ, being immersed in in him, belonging to him, trusting him, being washed, cleansed with him, clothed with him. If we're Christians, we are in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're adopted into his family and we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And so our differences, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, male, female, Anglo-African, Aboriginal, Afghani, rich, poor, young, old, all those differences that normally divide people, they're insignificant. It's like in a family. I mean, in my family, each of my four kids, they're they're all quite different. You might think, gee, they all look the same and they look just like John or Jenny. They're actually all quite different. But there's an underlying unity that we are family. And that matters more than any differences. Now, if that's true of our fragile, perhaps even dysfunctional and broken human families, how much more true is it of our perfect heavenly family in Christ? We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I think one implication of this for our, our church life is we need to be careful uh, to not 
separate ourselves off based on certain differences, when we naturally kind of clump together with people like us, people our age and stage, and, and so our growth groups tend to be fairly homogenous. You know, I go to that group because those people are like me. I, I don't go to that group because those people are not like me. And, and our structures can reinforce this too. We, you know, we have creche and kids' church and year six to eight and youth Bible study. And, and in one sense, though, you know, those things are okay. I mean, getting together with people like us... Um, our age and stage is, is, is natural. It can be good. It can be really helpful. And there's, there's certainly a, a place for age-appropriate teaching. We, we don't teach the crash kids the same way as we teach the, the, uh, the youth. But we just need to be careful that, that a focus on being with people like me and not being with people not like me, that doesn't sort of morph into a disunity that says, in effect, well, I'm... I'm better than they are, or reversely, they're, they're better than me. No, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the, the beautiful aspects of being a Christian is that it, it levels us all. No one has the, the inside running. This is something the churches in Galatia needed to, needed to get. And so Paul continues in, in chapter 4. Look with me. He continues to say, in effect, it, guys, it's a level playing field. Not even the Jews, I mean, even though they had the law, not even they were better off. He says, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, even though he, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees, until the time set by his father. Now Paul uses an illustration here of, of someone who's an heir, someone who's going to inherit the estate, but he's underage. He hasn't come of age yet to, to inherit. Um, when, when I was 11, my grandfather died, and he left his, his estate to his 13 grandchildren. Um, and for those of us who were under the age of 20, it was, it was held in trust until... We reached the age of 20. I was an heir, if you like. I was to inherit, but not yet, because I was under 20. Until that point, I was, I was subject to guardians and trustees. Now, Paul's example here is, is a little bit bigger than, than my example, because the heir was going to inherit the whole estate. He was going to inherit and possess it all. But until the time set by his father, while ever he was underage, he is, is, is no different to a slave. In fact, he's in a form of slavery himself. As the guardians, as the trustees, they direct and control him. That's Paul's illustration. Then he explains and applies it. He says, verse 3, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Paul says, when we, that is we Jews, notice he shifts from speaking of you to, to we, when we were underage before the set time of the coming of Jesus, well, we were like underage heirs. Yeah, we've been given the promise to, we're going to inherit Abraham's blessing, 
but we're in slavery until that time. We're slaves, he says, to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, which is another way of saying we're slaves to sin and the condemnation of the law because of our sin. But when, he says, verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son, fully God, fully human, born of a woman, born under the law, that is born as a Jew, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent Jesus, his son, to redeem us, to, to adopt us to sonship. Now notice this, this is not... Um, it's not being sexist, you know, speaking of sons. and It's saying that we're adopted to sonship. That is, Jesus is the son, and we are given what he is. We are given his relationship to his father. What defines us? Well, through faith in Christ. We've been made right with God. We've been adopted into his family with God as our perfect father. But wait, there's more. Not wanting to sound like a TV ad for some great cleaning product or something, because it really, truly is even better. Verse 6 switches back to, to you, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. God sent his son, and then God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God's spirit is with us, is in us, if we belong to Christ. And notice here the work of the spirit. People have all sorts of ideas about the work of the spirit. The work of the spirit here is to make us realize that we are children of God, to move us to to call out to God as our father. Abba, Father. It's the same words that Jesus used to address God. So who are we? The last verse gives the summary. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. No longer a slave. Freed. God's child. Member of his family. And an heir, one who will inherit his kingdom. What defines us? Who am I? Well, because of Christ Jesus, I'm a child of God. That's extraordinary. One of the, uh, the great, um, all-time great uh, Christian classic books is uh, Knowing God. It's got various, various uh, editions and titles and covers by J.I. Packer. And it has a chapter in it on... On this, on, on adoption, on being sons of God. It's uh, well, worth, well worth a read. It's, this is great, great meat. And uh, towards the end of, of that chapter, he says this in, in, this in a section called The Great Secret. He says, Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. 
He says, say it over and over to yourself, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. For this is the Christian secret of a happy life. Yes, certainly. But we have something both higher and profounder to say. This is the Christian secret of a Christian life and of a God-honouring life. And, there are, and these are the aspects of the situation that really matter. May this secret become fully yours and fully mine. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Each day is one step nearer. My Saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother also. That's a wonderful uh, thing to, to memorise, to stick on your wall, to put on the lock screen of your phone. Stop and marvel at what we've been given in Christ Jesus. We're not only justified, made right with God. That's extraordinary. But we're adopted into God's family. With God as our perfect heavenly father. And with the spirit of his son with us and in us. Our adoption, um, it defines who we are. It shapes how we live. It shapes how we pray we, because we can speak to God as Father. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of all, we can call him Abba, Father, Dad. God gives us that privilege. He wants us to, to pray to him, to talk to him as our Father in heaven. And it shapes how we live. It shapes how we live because we want to we please, we want to love, we want to obey our Father. We want to do the things he wants us to. What an amazing privilege we have in Christ. In 1 John 3 verse 1, and I'll finish with this, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In Christ, we know God not as a distant law keeper, but we know him as our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege that you have given us to call you Father. We thank you that you sent your Son to redeem us, to free us, to bring us forgiveness, to make us right with you through his death for us. Father, we thank you that you sent your Spirit into our hearts that we can call out to you as Abba, Father. Father, we thank you that you have justified us, that you have adopted us into your family. Thank you for the privilege that that is. Please help us to grasp this truth, this reality, and allow that to shape us and define us. May we see ourselves and see each other through your eyes. And may any differences that otherwise could divide us, may they fade away into insignificance as we relate to one another as fellow brothers and sisters in your family. Father, thank you for the privilege that you have given us in Christ. Help us to live as your children. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.